0: But here, little mouse, what a feeling of terror shoots through his frame. Despair seems for an instant to be written on his face, and he clutches convulsively the metal to which he is slave.
1: You are
2: listening to Urban Wildlife Podcast.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. I'm here with Michelle Niedermeyer. Say hi, Michelle. (laughs) Hi. Uh, We'll do introductions in a sec. Um, uh, But before we get too far into it, as always, we want to um, ask you to please like, I'm shifting, and those who are listening and not seeing don't realize I just moved my chair um, for better lighting. It doesn't matter to you, it just matters to people watching on YouTube. Um, But uh, I wanted to start off by saying, of course, if you do like the podcast, um. please do rate us highly on your podcast listening app of choice. Please tell your friends about it. Um, you can get in touch with us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at herbwildlifecast. And of course, we are now part of the Wildlife Observer Network with a bunch of other podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram at wildlife obs network. So wildlife, OBS, network, all one word. Um, And that's how you can keep track of everything that's happening with the various Wildlife Observer Network podcasts. Um, So today I'm here with Michelle, uh, who you've most recently heard on the podcast when we recorded ourselves smashing spotted lanternflies and scraping their eggs off of trees. I don't want to get sidetracked, Michelle, but they're all over the Virginia creeper um, in my garden right now. Um, They're
0: all um, over a lot of things in the city of Philadelphia right now.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it, you know. You, you know, I know. I don't, I don't know what this means. We're actually screwed, but it does for me reinforce the futility of of, of control options within Philadelphia at this point. Well, <laughs>
0: and they hatched about two weeks later than they had anticipated them hatching. Um, not to get sidetracked again, but yeah. uh, their the degree days. Um, because we had so many cool nights and some yeah. cool, a cool spring, they actually hatched about two weeks later than what was predicted. So that started out to be a good sign, but then it it's gone bad. Ah, ever us
1: since. all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, in any case, I think now is a good moment. Um, Michelle, who are you? Why do I always want to talk to you when we're talking? To you? <laughs>
0: So I work for the Pennsylvania Integrated Pest Management Program. Um, we're a program that is a statewide program that's housed at Penn State uh, in the Department of Entomology. And we um, deal with pests and pesticide issues as they impact human and environmental health.
1: Awesome.
0: So, you know, what's better to talk about than pests?
1: It, it's For me, it's like, well, another tangent. We could have a whole conversation about the philosophical con- human socially constructed notion of pests and we we, we have a good time. Maybe we should. All right, but not right now. (laughs) So so people who know me know that uh, or listen to the podcast and know me that way, um, know that in addition to um, doing episodes about reptiles and amphibians, um, I love doing episodes about how biogeography intersects with human history and prehistory. Um, You know, doesn't always roll off the tongue as a topic, but we've talked about how, um, the bugs that archaeologists dig up um, can tell us about how past humans lived. For example, on, on previous podcasts, we've talked about how um, human land use and predator uh, hunting has enabled coyotes to spread across North and Central America as well. Uh, and so, I've been kicking around doing something about mice ever since I saw some references to sort of the origins of the house mouse, Um, and so we're going to look at an article that deals with that today. Um, But before we even get to that, uh, I wanted to start off with a reading from John James Audubon's lesser-known book, (laughs) well, multi-volume book, but the, The Vaporous Quadrupeds of North America another, another thing that rolls off the tongue. Um, <laughs> but this is a, uh, you know, he did the birds of North America. Then he did the mammals basically. Um, and his passage about mice, we're not going to read the entire thing, but there are some sections in here that are not straight natural history. Um, and they're fabulous. And so I, I thought I, I, hand it off to Michelle to read from, from the text. Go ahead.
0: All right. But although the thievish mouse is often frightened and may be said to eat his dinner with a cat over his head, although he is assailed with pokers, broomsticks, whenever he unluckily runs across the floor and in fact is killed as often as his death can be compassed by the ingenuity of man or the cunning and quickness of his ally, the cat, the mouse will not retire from the house. And even where the supply of food for him is small or in rooms that have long been shot up, he may be found. And would he let our drawings and books alone, he would he should willingly allow him the crumbs from our table, but he will sometimes gnaw into shreds valuable papers to make a bed behind some bureau or old chest. He in his fright in, he in his turn frightens man at times, and should the hard-hearted hoarding wretch who has made gold his god while with aged trembling hands locked in his inmost chamber. He counts his money bags, but here a little mouse, what a feeling of terror shoots through his frame. Despair seems for an instant to be written on his face, and he clutches convulsively the metal to which he is slave. Another moment, and he recovers, but he is still agitated and hastily secures with locks and bolts the treasure, which is to him more precious than the endearments of a wife, the love of children, the delights of friendship and society the blessings and prayers of the poor, or the common wants of humanity in his own person.
1: It's so good! Sorry, keep going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Many a young lady will scream at the sight of a poor little mouse, and many a brave young man might be startled in the stillness of the night by the noise made by this diminutive creature, especially if given to the readings of the Mysteries of Adolfo or the Castle of Otranto. Late in the hours of darkness, alone in a large, old lumbering house.
1: Love it. All right. We're going to jump to another little paragraph in there.
0: Yeah, let me get to that one. The activity, agility, and grace of the mouse have made it a favorite pet with the prisoner in a solitary cell, and it has been known to answer his call and come out of its hiding place to play with the unfortunate captive, showing the greatest fondness for him and eating out of his hand without fear. The common mouse is not a native of America, but exists in all countries where ships have landed cargo and may be said to tread closely on the heels of
1: commerce. It was brought to America
0: in the vessels that conveyed to our shores the early
1: emigrants. Oh, man. Um, we're going to use that part as a segue, but I still have to stop, Michelle, and just, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. Like, <laughs> like what, he, I, I, got, I, I, I've, I started reading, I'm almost in tears about this. I started reading um, a, a big biography, of Life and Letters. I I didn't get to the part where he wrote the the, the viparous quadrupeds yet, um, but because because I really want to. Like, he must have been referring to. I, I don't know if he just had a general dislike of rich misers, or just like had <laughs> someone in particular he was pissed at. But like, it, it just seems like he's really targeting someone. Um, and yeah, then, maybe
0: just like an overall sense of like the despise of greed in society. I
1: guess. Um, and then uh, just so you know, those two uh, those two titles that you might be reading if you're scared by a mouse were popular gothic, spooky gothic novels of the day. And so they were, um, it was funny, I was talking to Gigi, my wife, about this. who's a big Jane Austen fan. And I think it was the second one. She's like, I've heard of that because it's mentioned in a Jane Austen novel. Um, <laughs> so... In any case, um, we're gonna th- we'll take that last part about following um, about landing with cargo wherever humans go. Um, uh, talk about a, an article that um, deals with this a bit. Um, I'm gonna sort of I'll try to find, do my best to summarize the parts of the article that are interesting for what we're talking about. A lot of the article is interesting more broadly, um, so I don't want to give it short trip that way. But the title is um, it's from it's from. Uh, Hey, podcast listeners. When I recorded this, somehow I fumbled the title of the journal. The title of the journal is Trends in Genetics. Um, the title of the article is Genetic Tracking of Mice and Other Bioproxies to Infer Human History. Um, here are the authors. I'll try my best to pronounce them. Eleanor P. Jones, Heidi M. Eager, Sophia Gabrielle, Frida daughter, and Jeremy B. Searle. Um, and so this came out in uh, 2012, it looks like. Um, and this is, so it, it uh, discusses how broadly speaking, genetic studies of the animals that accompany us around the globe can tell us about human movements, right? So if, um, if a creature is sort of fixed to us, and, and rides along with us, by studying the genetics of that creature, you can learn about how we have moved them around, and that's how we moved around. So, um, And then they, they focus on the house mouse as the perfect example of this kind of research. So house mice, in case you were wondering where they came from, I know I have, um, house mice have been with us for about 12,000 years. which is a really long time. And I'll stop and say 12,000 years is a long time for people who live like, I don't know, if you've been thinking 12,000 years ago, like 40 years, 60 years, um, for a mouse that like has a life cycle on the order of weeks, um, maybe months if they're lucky, um, that's a lot of generations. Um, and so so pretty much they've been with us since we started storing grain. Um, they originate in the north of the Indian subcontinent, as the article says, um, and there are three subspecies of the mouse, which I never really thought about before, but there's three subspecies. Um, and each of the three independently um, became a human commensal. So that means an animal that sort of lives with us in, in sort of in, in the neighbor. Um, sometimes a commensal can be a pest. So you could say um, that various mosquitoes are commensals. You could say, I guess, you could say, um, what's a good one? Bed bugs. There you go. Um. <laughs> they're, they're
0: parasitic commensals.
1: Parasitic, right. But they're, they're, they are a commensal we don't like. Um, and then you've got other commensals out there, like, you know, mice, which don't bite us, but they eat our food. And then you have other commensals that might be more benign, um, like, uh, pigeons. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. AKA Pigeon, rock.
0: pigeons have some, have some
1: downsides. So yeah, another okay. another discussion, you're too much of an expert for this conversation, Michelle. <laughs> of, but what about the, 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 the mold that grows on their feces? No, I know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but in any case, um, I'll take him over bed bugs. Um, So so in any case, these three subspecies, which I'll get through in a second, um, accompany human agriculture in like three different like radiating directions. Um, So the the species is called mus musculus, if you're looking for the scientific name for the mouse. Um, The nominate subspecies, in other words, the one that is mus, musculus, musculus, um, spread out through northern Eurasia but didn't make it into Western Europe. Um, which, as the RFS point out, up until 3,000 years ago, there wasn't much doing in, Northern, in Western Europe. Um, it was kind of like a backwater. There wasn't quite as much agriculture as you'd have like in the Near East, um, and so there weren't like piles of grain sitting around for house mice to, to take advantage of. Um, so why bother? Um, another subspecies, Castaneus, um, which I guess means chestnut, so it must be chestnut-colored, um, spread into India, Southeast Asia, down in Africa. Um, made it into Japan, apparently. Um, and then, uh, oh, Musculus also made it into Japan, like, in another direction. Um, and then the one that we call Mus- Musculus domesticus um, ended up in the Near East. So uh, think of where we usually, you know, think of as the cradle of civil- Western civilization, I guess, or Near Eastern civilization, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, Iraq, Iran, um uh fertile crescent that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then followed agriculture from there into europe and then as as sort of europeans took over the world um roman era and then um and then into like the great age of of european discovery that led to colonizing the americas etc um the mice that subspecies domesticus, rode along and so the authors point out something handy about mice which is when you're studying this kind of thing which is that When a ship docks and the mice run off the ship, uh, the male mice have an easy time finding homes in the existing mouse populations. They can fit in, I guess. The females, not so much. Um, And so I'm not sure exactly how that happens, um, but that means that if you track the mitochondrial DNA, which are passed down female from the female side, it comes through your the, the the sperm doesn't carry mitochondrial DNA, the ovum does. So then you end up with with that being a line of of female descent. Um, So you can use the mitochondrial DNA to study when um, a real population of mice got established in a place. And you can track mouse colonizations that way. Um, And so that way the science, just by looking at um, about looking at how those mitochondrial DNA lines diverged and got mixed up, um, can can study this kind of thing. And so for example, um, they can look at how um, you can look at the genetics of current mouse populations. You can look at remains of mice from archaeological digs to see if anything's changed in the mitochondrial DNA in the populations in that time. Um, so they use an example of uh, how mice from Norway colonized Iceland, um, but with a certain mix of mice from the British Isles also, um, which reflects how the Vikings came out of Norway and then spread through the British Isles into Iceland and then, Talk about Greenland also, but um, over there too. Um, I, I guess I don't have a real point <laughs> beyond this is all really cool. And it makes me appreciate um, the mice that pop up in, let's say in our own house, occasionally, luckily we don't have a big mouse problem, but sometimes they should pop up. We kill them, um, do our best to get rid of whatever food was was attracting them in the first place. Um, and But really, the, they are true neighbors in civilization that have, been along for the ride as long as, you know, we stopped being hunter gatherers, you know? Um, And so not exactly wild animals. I don't know. Michelle, what did you, Earl, before we hit record, you were talking about how you enjoyed the article too. What were you noticing? Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, all of that was just simply fascinating to think that, you know, you could trace where these mice came from, came from through the mitochondrial DNA, which of course is just fascinating in and of itself. But how, um, but also then there were, yeah, I mean, it was was very interesting, but just to see like, you know, the plot maps of the world of where these different mice went. And then, um, you know, they, they threw in some information about different cats also, which again, you know, we could talk about cats and mice and there was a whole little paragraph about the cats and the mice. And then, you know, some. Some theories about, uh, you know, why why the orange tabby became a preference for the Vikings.
1: Perhaps? Yeah, um. <laughs> I thought that too, because there's some orange cats on my block that I that I don't like, and that's a... That, that caught They're Viking mind.
0: descendants or something, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Viking um, cats.
0: <laughs> but, you know, I mean, all of these things, um, you know, you don't think about day in and day out, but when you sit down, it, it is really fascinating to, to get a bigger picture of how how they have been with us for so long. I mean, so many of these um, animals have evolved over time to to be with us and to basically um, live off of us in one way or another. You know, we make it easy for them, right? When when it boils down to food, water, yeah. and shelter, we really make it easy for a lot of animals and, and things we don't want. I mean, in full disclosure, there was a mouse in our basement um, a week ago today. I caught it it's, it's gone now.
1: <laughs> What'd you but do now
0: it? yeah, I I didn't know we had a mouse in the house until I found the trap with the mouse in it.
1: <laughs> Wait, So why'd you have the trap? Was it just, um, I, set?
0: I leave traps set in my house on a fairly regular, I mean, it's a hundred years old, right? You know, there are cracks and crevices and I, I do my best to seal those cracks and crevices off and prevent the pests from coming in.
1: But yep, obviously IBM like, practices.
0: Yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Prevention. Right. Um, but it's a constant, a constant need to, you know, take a look outside your house and look for cracks and crevices and and to seal those points of entry off. And so I do leave traps set in my basement and I check them on a regular basis. Um, What
1: kind of traps do you use?
0: I use the good old fashioned wooden mouse snap traps. I have always found those to be reliable
1: Um, A little bit of peanut butter, man. I love them. Yeah.
0: I use, exactly. I use a little bit of peanut butter and a chocolate chip. I figure, you know, that's your final (laughs) meal. Sounds good, right?
1: (laughs) Go out on a high note. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, I didn't know there was a mouse. um, And I do find them periodically in the basement um, because I have the trap set. And like I said, I check them regularly. I rebate them regularly.
1: Well, if you don't check them regularly, you're going to smell when you get the mouse a couple of days later.
0: (laughs) Totally are. And especially now that it's heating up. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: But, you know, it's, uh, you know, so on my list of things to do on the next day uh, I have free is to to take a perimeter walk and seal cracks and crevices. And I always alert my neighbors because I live in a row, right? I live in a twin. So I let my neighbor know it came in. I caught it on our shared wall side. So I always alert the neighbor. Hey, just wanted you to know I caught a mouse in a trap in the ceiling (laughs) of our shared Uh wall in the basement. No, I don't think of the ceiling. So I think they're coming in between our houses somewhere. So I need to like hop a little fence and like check that area out. Huh. It was funny
1: about the ceiling part. Like I don't think of them as being all that good at climbing, but in actually the Audubon passage, part of we didn't read was about how he had um, tried to, he had some seed corn he was going to plant the next year. Right. Hung it from the rafters by a rope so that it would be safe from things eating it. And still the mouse banks magic to get up through the rafters down the rope into the corn and eat all of it. Um, yeah.
0: So yeah. It was- I mean, they are really good climbers. Um, you know, they can jump really um, amazingly further than one might imagine. I had some notes here. Let me just look. Um, yep. It can jump uh, 12 to eight inch inches from a standstill and up to four feet with a running start. So if you think about jumping and leaping, you know, that's, that's a pretty good distance for a little tiny mouse to jump
1: four feet. I mean, four feet for an animal that's like lucky if it's three inches long, maybe really like it's an inch or two long.
0: It's, they're not very big. So that's a really, that's a long jump world record kind of mammal jump.
1: That's like 24 times your body length. I'm trying to even contemplate that for me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, the fact that, well, and I do think because like they're coming in on the ground like from the ground, which would be the ceiling of my basement.
1: Okay, okay.
0: So I set traps there because that feels like ground level would be a good place for them to be in. So I I set traps in the rafters in the basement ceiling.
1: Okay, maybe I'll do the same. Yeah. Um, You know,
0: know, it's better that you catch them there before they make it to the kitchen.
1: It is. Well, that's usually how we find that we have them. Um, It's when we have uh, something we left on the counter, and then we find... Mm -hmm. It's got a hole in the bag and a little like excavated cave of mouse, well, mouse cave inside the bread or something.
2: And,
0: uh, and there's our, some poop usually somewhere.
1: Yeah, our our best story with that is last, yeah, you know, last Halloween, um, I get home, and Halloween here in Philadelphia, uh, and I got a daughter um, who's eight, and so she very much takes part in Halloween, um, and. Uh, I got home ahead of her and, um, it was a complicated, we were getting home with different kids and stuff. And, and I couldn't find the candy to put out. And so like, I'm texting with, with, with Gigi. I'm like, Hey, where'd you put the candy? Like, I know you hid it to get, <laughs> to keep it from Magnolia. Um, our daughter, the daughter and, and, and probably keep it from me, which is <laughs> there too. Um, I didn't want to know where it was. and I didn't go looking. Um, and she's like, oh, it's in the, the closet under the stairs. I'm like, I go in there. I find the big bag. It was like one of the mixed bags of like peanut themed chocolate stuff like snickers and st- et etc, and peanut M&Ms. And I open it up and it's a sticky mess inside. And I'm taking a look at it, I realize a mouse got into the bag. I don't know how many weeks bef- like or how long before. And, of course, it selectively went after the peanuts in all the peanut candy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, the regular M&Ms were fine, but the peanut M&Ms were ransacked. Um, and so we ended up, like, throwing away, like, three-quarters of it and found the bags yeah. that were intact and, like, put them aside. And, um, but I, had to, I just had to hand it to the mouse. Like, it really <laughs> – it, 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 had, it, it had it good there for a while, you know? <laughs> Yeah. That was the, that was the corn crib for it. You know, that was our modern era corn crib. Exactly.
0: Right. Right. Um, I mean, you know, just like thinking about the, the writing from Audubon, you know, the reason you find it is you find something that's been destroyed yeah. (laughs) Um, or you hear someone scream. And it's a very, I mean, I say this all the time when I talk about mice is that there's a very distinctive sound people make (laughs) when it's a mouse.
1: (laughs) I I mean, maybe it's me. I've lived with, I have a different relationship with mice. I mean, I'm a reptile amphibian guy. I kept snakes for a whole lot of my life, which meant for me, mice were something I sometimes bred. Um, I, I have a freezer in my freezer. There's a bag of frozen mice right now for my rat snake. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, have I, I hear a mouse. I'm like, Oh crap, a mouse. <laughs> like, but I still, it'll happen where, and this is why I love another reason. I love that Audubon passage, man. Like where, um, You'll it'll be in the evening and you'll be sitting on the sofa reading something and like you hear that rustling
0: or you see something maybe
1: just out of the corner of your eye getting like in yeah. the darkness. And you're like, you know, you're like, what the is hell is that? A mouse? <laughs> and you're like, hope oh, it's a mouse. and not a ghost. Um, yeah. but <laughs> for, for that split second. you're like, I don't know what that is. And then, and, and I just like, and I love how we spun that out into much like deeper, Dread, um, but uh, in any case, it's it, I, I get the I, I I get how they can spook you. I just have never gotten into the screaming part of it. Um, but I know people get real freaked out by their mice, uh, so it's yeah. Yeah, um Yeah, I I feel like we should do a quick. I mean, you've you've just because I've got you here, and this is what you do. Um, you mentioned making sure the cracks in your house are sealed up. You meant you mentioned putting out what I would phrase as like sentinel traps or something like that. Um, monitors. Like, yeah. Monitors. Like, so should you find that you have mice? What should you do? What should yes. it do?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, don't freak out. Let's yeah. just start there. <laughs> um, but you know, it really is of all the pests that I think are um, the easiest to deal with. I, a mouse is really not that hard, right? Definitely. If you catch the, as long as it's not a serious infestation, you know. Um, so some just some common sense things. It it really does boil down to food, water, and shelter because that's what it's looking for. And if you eliminate one or two of those, it most likely will go away because it's not getting what it needs. A mouse lives in about a a thirty um, a thirty foot range. Okay, so thirty feet up, thirty feet all around, up, down, and around. That's that's its range. It doesn't go much beyond that. Okay. So. Um, if you can eliminate food, water, and shelter, you can you can get rid of you can evict the mouse, so to speak. Right. Um, but you know some common sense things are to prevent the mouse, right? So clean up crumbs and spills, fix drippy faucets, leaks. Um, make sure that uh, the cracks and crevices are are filled at like the foundation of the house. Um, any place where a wire or a pipe comes into the house, that gap should be filled, like patched over. Um, you can do that.
1: Go ahead with what? Oh, you can
0: do that with just like a copper pot scrubby. Um,
1: Um,
0: you know, we recommend folks use silicone caulk, silicone sealant, not latex or acrylic because those harden and crack, but silicone stays rubbery. And so, you know, you seal it and it, it fills the space and it stays a lot longer than acrylic or, um, latex caulk does. Um, you know, I, I mean, uh, it's hard sometimes because, you know, depending on where you live, if you're a renter or a homeowner, you know, the size, the age of the house, how much um, deferred well, we maintenance might that we, live,
1: we both live in twins, and, which means we share walls with other people. So we, sort right. of have, uh, we, we can do a lot in our own house. We still rely on what our neighbors do. You know?
0: Absolutely. Right. And so that's another thing why I communicate with my neighbor. Anytime I have something or she has something, we tell each other. You know, because technically there's supposed to be a firewall between us, but again, the house is 100 years old and cracks and crevices, houses settle, things come through, right? So her pest is my pest, my pest is her pest, and, um, (laughs) you know, we need to alert each other to those things so that we can tackle it together. And like I said, I do leave traps set pretty much year-round, not throughout the house, mostly just in the basement. Um, And I check them regularly and I rebate them regularly just to make sure nothing's going on down there. And when I do find something, you know, it, it, it's a clue that I should take a look around. How did that mouse get in? Um, you know, did it, did it walk under a door? You know, if you, can, if you can put a pencil in a hole, it's big enough for a mouse. Yeah. So, you know, doing the pencil test around door frames. i we'll around
1: for a pencil. For
0: just... I had yeah. a pencil. Oh. Here.
1: That's yeah.
0: how <laughs> Right, exactly. So if you go like this with the pencil and it goes through... You know, or if you can see light under a door or if maybe windows don't fit tight or screens are in disrepair, you know, I mean, they're just looking for food, water and shelter, same as anyone else. So if you make yeah. if you make it easy, <laughs> you know, they're going to come in, especially as the weather shifts. Usually it's not like in the springtime when you get mice.
1: Ah, uh, it's fall. Um, yeah.
0: But, you know. People are, people are out exploring. Animals are out exploring. You never know. They're wall seekers. It might have just been running along the wall and found right, a Right, right,
1: right. They don't like it to cross the middle of the floor. They stay to the corners. Um, yep. Do you, what do you think? This is something I've always wondered about. I should start. I, I, I lean back instinctively when I'm asking questions, I guess. Um, <laughs> is uh, what do you think about pet food? Like, this is something I wonder about when people have dogs or cats and they have like sure. a dish of pet food out. Like... That seems to me like a dish of mouse food. Um.
0: Yeah, so it can be. And I mean, the idea with leaving food and water out for your pet is a good thing, generally speaking. And so if you do have a cat or a a dog, um, you know, leave it out for them. Um, But at night, pick it up. Mice are generally nocturnal, so they're going to come out when you're asleep. So when everyone's asleep, including the cat or the dog, put the food and water away. You can yep. put it back out in the morning for the dog or cat.
1: It won't starve overnight is what you're saying. <laughs> <It won't. laughs>
0: yeah. nope. But that way you've eliminated a source for the mouse to, you know, take advantage
1: of. Good point. All right. So um, I'm going to wrap it up uh, because we are running out of our time on the free version of zoom that we're using. Um, I, uh, it, and I think um, I, Maybe we'll come back to pests. I do like this. Uh, I've got a whole like in my head a whole list of these um, human-mediated animal expansion, range expansion topics that I want to get into. Reading the the Audubon reminded me of the red fox, um, which is an interesting story of uh, of 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 how they got here. Um, and I'll leave that open and, and try to save that for another episode to to satisfy your your now burning curiosity. But how did the red fox <laughs> get to Philadelphia, um, or much of the southern United States. Um, but also Virginia possums are another one. There's a whole bunch of animals that we take for granted all over the country that weren't all over the country before European colonization. Um, and it's, uh, maybe it's be a a good double episode. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do Virginia possums and, uh, red foxes. But, um, for now, once again, um, thanks to Michelle for coming on. Uh, thank you to, uh, well, thanks to everyone for listening and liking us on your podcast listening app of choice. Please check out our other Wildlife Observer Network um, podcast. we got a bunch of them. Uh, and please stay tuned. Thank you so much, Michelle.
0: All right. Thanks, Billy. Bye.
1: Bye. Synanthropic
0: Organism.
1: Hey, podcast listeners. Since this is an episode about mice, and I look for any excuse to throw in this poem, we're taking a clip that we used for August 21st, 2016's episode One Man's Pest is Another's Gorgeous Rattlesnake. This is Lawrence Crawford reading the best poem about mice, and maybe the best poem ever, by the great poet Robbie Burns.
2: Dear Moose by Robbie Burns When turning up in our nest with a plough November seventeen eighty five. We sleekit cowrin, timorous beastie. O, oh, what a panic's in thy breastie! Thou neednest start thou was so hasty. We bickering brattle. I would be to run and chasty thee. We murderin battle. I'm truly sorry man's domination has broken nature's social union and justifies that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me, thy poor earth-born companion and fellow mortal. I doubt now wiles bout they me thieve. What then, poor beastie, thou mon live?' And dame Icker in a thrave, so's all man requit I'll get a blessing where they leave, and ne'er miss it. thy wee bit hoosey too in ruin it's silly why the winds are strewin'. and Nathan knew too big a name, o foggage green. And bleak December's winning soon both snail and keen Thou saw the fields lain bare and waste and weary winter comin' fast, and coozy here beneath the blast, thou thought to dwell till crash, the cruel coulter passed out through thy cell. That wee bit heap o' leaves and stibble Has cost thee mony a weary nibble. Noo thou's turn a doot for all thy trouble, But hooser hald, to thole the winter's sleety dribble, And cray a cruach cauld. But, Musy, thou art no thy lane, and proven foresight may be vain, the best laid schemes o' mice and men, gang aft agley, and leas as though naught but grieve and pain for promised joy. Still, thou art blest compared wi me, the present only toucheth thee, but och, a backward cast mine ee, on prospects dear, and forward, Though I cannot see, I guess I and, and fear.